Hi, you're listening to Financial Coach Ruthie from FinancialResuscitationWithRuthie.com, where we discuss all things related to resuscitating your finances, rehabilitating your dreams, and how to restore your legacy. Hi, this is Coach Ruthie, and today is another episode where I have another non-family member. Uh, His name is Pastor Bob, aka Business Coach Bob. He has a vast amount of experience as a pastor, and more recently as the transition pastor at my local church. Uh, In the last couple of years, he's moved into the private coaching world, so today we're going to explore a little bit of both, uh, both the the pastoral side of his life and the business coaching side of his life as well. So I'm excited to hear from Pastor Bob slash Coach Bob. Hello. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm cold today. Yeah. Dropping like half the temperature, hey? That's right. (laughs) It's nice. Ryan's liking it because he doesn't like hot weather, so. (laughs) Oh, well, he's in the right country then. Yeah. (laughs) I'm enjoying it. I can sleep comfortably at like 25 degrees. That's great with a blanket. So how is he going to deal with the ship? It's air, it's air conditioned. So he'll, it actually, I've heard people's comments that you should bring a blanket because you're actually going to get too cold. So yeah, I suppose because the further down you get the cold air drops, right? I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> cool. All right. So I guess I'll have you introduce yourself and anything you want to say about yourself. Okay, well, I'm uh, I'm grateful to be here with Ruthie, and uh, I just encourage you and and applaud you for what you're doing in the area of being a financial coach. There's lots of need for that, so I'm I'm excited that you were you were doing that. So thank you for the invitation of being on your podcast, uh, Bob Claxton. I've been uh, a pastor since 1981, back in the last century. Uh, and then in 2011, I retired from that and went into corporate work. And I was a part of a C-suite for a manufacturing company for three and a half years. Wow. And uh, in that in that time, um, I became a part of the John Maxwell team. John Maxwell was my mentor from 1991. And uh, so when he gave us an opportunity to join his team in March of 2011, I jumped all over it. And uh, now we're over 33,000 people in uh, 160 countries. And I was in the very first class. So I was one of the, the first 450 people that came on. And we had no idea what, what we were getting <laughs> into. And nor did they have an idea what they were getting into. So I, what I did for that was um, I would take the materials or the things that I was learning with the John Maxwell team. And I would practice them inside this manufacturing group. So I would do lunch and learns there. I would do coaching and uh, those kinds of things. And then after work, I'd go and I'd get paid for it. Um, I would go and and, uh, do mastermind groups with other people like you've experienced. And uh, so that's how it started. And then in 2015, I think it was, the district that I'm a part of, of the Alliance, um, tapped me on the shoulder and said, we want you back but we have a special project for you. And I said, okay, well, what is that? And they said, we want you to be a transitional pastor. And I said, cool, what's that mean? And they said, go get training and uh, then call us back and let, let us know when you're done. So I, uh, I did that. And one of the interesting things, Ruthie, about that 
training was in the very first hour, Cam Taylor, who is now a good friend of mine, asked the question, what is it that you want to learn? And I said, I wanted, I want to learn that what I did for all the years in my ministry, I did it without even having a process. And I didn't even, I want you to put English to what I did. Cause I didn't, I did it instinctively, but I didn't know what I did. Mm, yeah. And then within, within the first hour before our first break, actually, I knew this was exactly what I had done in every church that I'd gone to. I just didn't use the specific formula. Mm-hmm. And so what, what was interesting about that was what I do coaching people, what I do in churches, what I do in business is all basically the same thing. So that's, that's, uh, that's the interesting part about this. Cause you've heard me say this before, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Yeah. And uh, I had my own coach say to me, do you realize what you do? is that you do the same thing in all those three arenas. And I said, well, I guess I'd never looked at it that way. And uh, I help people turn their lives around. I help churches turn their church family and and direction around. And I also, uh, when given the opportunity outside of COVID, uh, to give uh, businesses the opportunity to do that as well with her people. Yeah, for sure. So you're being consistent, which is great, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So you described, you started out describing kind of a little bit um, about being a pastor and then being a business coach. And so how was that switch over or was that easier? Cause you were already kind of doing that. Well, you know, it was, it actually wasn't as easy as I thought, Ruthie. Um, I'd always worked with business people. I mean, you understand that a pastor leads a church board and sometimes they're our business people on the board. I mean, typically you have somebody who either owns a company or it was higher up in a company. So I'd always led um, business people, but I didn't have a clue about what business was all about. So when I became VP of HR for this manufacturing company, the thing that I did was I just literally asked why everywhere I went. In fact, they used to get annoyed with me because I'd say, well, why do you do it that way? Yeah. You know, so I learned what what um, supply and demand was. I learned what margins are, (laughs) you know, all those things that I had never any idea about. And the big challenge for me, Ruthie, was I didn't think I had anything to offer the business world. Hmm. But um, gentleman that actually helped me get the job in the manufacturing company said how you do ministry is with people and how and I was so I was in HR. So I knew how to deal with people and how to help people. Yeah. And, but while I was in there helping people, I just, I became ferocious in my, in my desire to learn how this business worked. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was a whole new world for me that I absolutely loved. Yeah, exactly. And I think understanding it is, is huge, right? How can you change anything or have input unless you understand what's going on? Well, absolutely. And most pastors don't have that experience. In fact, some pastors don't even have any financial or, or um, business training. And as a result of that, they get themselves into trouble or they get their churches into trouble. Yeah. And so I've al- I was always was good um, working with our financial. Um, I, had, I had a financial uh, administrator and I'd had treasures. I could read, yeah. you know, financial statements, all those kinds of things. I knew what it meant to keep in a budget. And I knew, you know, how to do those things. So it was just taking it to a whole new level for me when I got into business. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it never, it never... It wasn't something I was afraid of. And I know some people, uh, some pastors are afraid of the whole financial thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. 
Why do you, why do you think they're afraid of it? They don't understand it. Okay. Simply. Um, and I, and I think that's, that's no different than when I go into a, a board of elders and we elect a new group of men, I have to teach them about what we're going to do. So part of what we do is help them learn what, you know, what the profit and loss statement is, what the budget is and how that works. And, uh, I'm just a you know a strong proponent. You don't know what you don't know, but it's just it's it's not it's just ignorance because of a lack of knowledge, not because you're stupid or yeah you're incapable. It's just you don't know what you don't know. Yeah, I would say majority of the people don't know look what they're looking at in the church when you hand out the financial statements, right? Like, yeah, and uh, you know it's obvious because there's hardly any questions that yeah. come out as a result of that. <laughs> right. Or maybe they're I don't know nitpicking one tiny thing or something like that, right? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and how was that transition? You said you just had to get a bunch of knowledge, right? To know how the business world worked. And then once you obtained that, it was a little bit easier to transitioning to the business world then. Absolutely. Because then you, you understood how the people part fit into that whole process of doing, uh, of doing business. Yeah. And I really see that the people are the most appreciable asset that every company has mm-hmm. because if you don't, I mean, and here's one of the fallacies that happens all the time. And I'm, I'm confronted with this, with, with this every time I sit down with a new client and they'll say, well, we really believe the people are, are, you know, our greatest asset. I'll say, really? Yeah. What you're saying and what I'm hearing two different things. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's a cliche that everybody says, oh, our people are the greatest asset. Yeah. And then they treat them like garbage and they don't, yeah. you know, they don't remunerate them properly. They don't motivate them. They don't train them. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the challenge. Yeah. I find that a lot in nursing as well. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> you're some, well, you're somewhat expendable, I guess, right? As a nurse, because there's always somebody else who could replace you, right? And, and so yeah. maybe they don't take the time to train you, right? And. Yeah. And well, and I think there needs to be some self-initiation too. Mm-hmm. I've always been one that was, you know, I was able to, I was always able to arrive early. I always stayed later. I always did more than I could, you know, than was asked. And in fact, I would go and ask how, you know, those that were above me, especially in business, how can I help you? You know, how can I relieve the load from you? So you, what you really want to do, and I think it's Ken Blanchard that says this, you want to remove yourself from the pile. Uh, and so the way that you do that is with your attitude, you do that with your ability to serve and you do that with your ability just to, to want to grow and develop. And I, and I really believe that's, that is the simple secret of how you can advance in a company. Yeah. Have you heard of the, uh, the halo effect where it's like the no. first two weeks you, uh, you show your boss that you're, you know, showing up early, staying late, um, doing extra things. And then that's all they remember about you for the rest of the time. You can do whatever you want after that, but the first two weeks. That's what, no, I haven't heard that one. <laughs> yeah, that's what's stuck in their mind. Same goes with like students and teachers, right? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, obviously with your integrity, you should continue doing those things and not just do them the first two weeks. But yeah, it's, <laughs> it's interesting that that's all they'll remember is those first two weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so you said you end up um, coaching people in the business world. What type of, like, are you coaching individuals or companies? Well, what, what my avatar is, is a, a, a private company owned by a family or owned by a, you know, an individual okay. of 200 employees or less who is on the cutting edge of growing and developing and they're, and, and they're developing fast and growing fast. And the problem with that is that then they need to expand their people base and their leadership base. So then where I come in is 
I say, okay, you just keep working on your business and I'll train your new leaders and help them become uh, better employees and better managers. And so that's, that's how I come in and make a difference. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's very nice. So when you have your initial meeting with your, um, with that business, um, are you just seeing if you're a good fit together or if they're coachable or teachable or what, what do you go over in that initial meeting? Actually, we have a distinct discovery uh, process that the John Maxwell team has gifted us with that really helps us go through. Um, we do a whole bunch of exploratory prior to meeting with whoever we're going to be meeting with. Like there's so much online, you know this. I can go to LinkedIn, I can go to Facebook, I can go to reviews, all those kinds of things and find out what I need to about the company. And then so I kind of get an idea of who I'm dealing with, what their values are, even some of what are their accomplishments are. And then when I go in and I sit down, the kicker here is, and this is very different than a lot of other people, is I don't sell anything for two sessions. I just I just go in and ask questions. Yeah. I go in and ask what their values are. I, I go in and ask what their gaps are and what you know what are the challenges that they're gonna have or they're facing that in six months if they don't deal with them and, and address them, how are they gonna be behind their you know, their competition. And they'll all go, you know, they'll, they'll press me and they'll press me and, you know, oh, well, how much is it going to cost? Uh, this isn't about cost. I need to find out. And part of that process, like you were saying, Ruthie, is I want to find out if I have the same value system as they do. Hmm. Um, and I learned this very early on. What my very first client that I worked with outside of the company that I was working with was a heating company. And the boss brought me in and he said, I need you to work with the team. And, you know, I said, okay, and I want you in the room. And he said, sure, I'll be in the room. And he never came to any one of my sessions. Oh, okay. And what happened was when we were learning leadership principles, they would look at me and go, the guy that really needs to hear this isn't in the room. So why are we doing this? Yeah. And I went, uh, never going to do that again. So one of the things that I stipulate, regardless of whether uh, I'm, I'm doing you know, a whole company or whether I'm doing parts of it, those that are in leadership have to be in the room. They have to make a commitment to do that. And, uh, and then basically then I'll go back and I'll put a proposal together. And, and then um, by that time, and again, you, you understand that I understand personalities because I'm a, you know, a disc consultant, mm -hmm. for instance, one of the, one of the, one of the uh, companies that I'm presently working with right now is a uh, electrical contracting company. And the owner is a S, which, you know, is someone who's very steady, who doesn't trust very quickly, uh, who needs to build a relationship with you. And so literally by using the process that I did, I gained of enough of a relationship with him that by the time I threw down the proposal, he liked me, he liked what he had heard, he liked what I, the value that I added even prior to that. And it was just a matter of where's, where's the, where do I sign? Yeah. And, uh, because most people want to know up front what the cost is because they want to be able to defer it real quick. Oh, well, then we can't afford it. No, there's lots of ways, you know, so that's how we, that's how we do that. But it's, it's absolutely, I can't, I can't help everyone. No. So I have to really be honest about that and say, you know, at the end of the day, if I can't find, and I say that in my discovery, the very first session, if I can't provide a service that you need, I will work with you to find someone who will. Yeah. And then by the time they know I'm a partner with them, then there's a lot more trust that's earned and, and, uh, and done as a result of that, right? Yeah, for sure. 
And do you usually, like, is that two one-hour times, or does that take you a whole day to kind of sit in the company and see what's going on? Um, typically, it'll take me about um, two to three hours to do the prep work. And then when I sit down with them, I'll probably spend it between an hour, an hour and a half. And again, I will... I will kind of gauge that ahead of time with the with the owner and say, listen, how much time do you have? And if they say they've got 45 minutes, I'll be done in 40 minutes. If they say they've got an hour, I'll be done in 50 minutes. Because that, that just lets them know that I respect their time. And if they continue on and talk, then I will say, listen, do you want to do you want to expand this? Because, we, you know, you told me you only had an hour. And they'll go, yep, let's go. And then when they do that, that's a different story altogether. Oh, yeah, that's an interesting way to approach it for sure. Mm-hmm. Especially, well, maybe in North America too, because we're a little more time oriented. I guess if you were in another country that is somewhere, it might take hours, and they'd be okay with that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, and when you finally have that relationship, then with that company, I'm assuming they're kind of already motivated and ready to be, or ready for change. I guess. Well, one of the parts of the of the avatar that I um, I'm a part of a, a BNI group, which is a referral marketing um, organization, and one of the things that I teach them all the time because they are my sales team as well as I'm selling for 36 other people. Yeah, is if the person that you're approaching doesn't understand that or not not understand because people understand if they're not convicted or convinced that they need to be adding value to their team by training then don't even have, don't even have a conversation with them. Okay. Um, because if they don't believe in personal development for themselves and they don't believe that that's valuable for their employees, then they're not a good match for me because we're going to, we're, we're not going to, we're not going to see eye to eye right off the, the get go. Mm-hmm. So there is, there does have to be that motivation. And again, go back to the three different areas of, you know, personal church and business, usually it happens with a crisis. Okay. Either a crisis, they're growing so much that they have, you know, the first, one of the largest uh, contracts that I ever had was a company that was growing substantially. They had 24 brand new managers and they had no idea how to to, uh, train them. So that's how I got in because I said, I'll provide the training for you. So there's that motivation. Yeah. There's both intrinsic and extrinsic, you know, you know, internal and external. Yeah. And uh, sometimes it has to, the pain is uh, we need to get this, uh, we need to get these, you know, leaders up and running and we don't have the time to do it because we're growing our business so fast. Yeah. Yeah. That's nice to, um, to hire someone to do that, right? And not have to worry about, especially if they don't know how to do it anyway, right? Makes sense. Yeah. Well, the other thing too is really, I come in with my, and again, I, one of the, the, the advantages is I, I come in with a toolbox. I don't come in with a pre-designed program. So if you need something specific, I can design that. Okay. And then I bring it in and I'm there for an hour with the group. Now that may be an hour, different groups. One, the contract I was telling you about before, I was there twice a week all day, but I had a group every hour and we would just switch out every hour. So I had seven mastermind groups every day teaching the same material, but they didn't have to worry about it. They just had to come in go out and go back to work. Yeah. So that worked out really well. Is there a type of business that you usually tend to work with? I've worked with them all. Okay. I really have worked with, I've worked with a salon. I've worked with a bank. I've worked with a tire company. I've worked with a home builder. Uh, I've worked with a manufacturer. Uh, I even worked with the RCMP. Okay. Uh, so there's, yeah, oh, cool. and, and literally wherever there's people, that's usually, <laughs> 
who I, uh, oh, I can work with. Yeah, that's really neat. Um, do you see a financial shift like in the business afterwards? Once they have their people trained and leaders developed? Well, one of the one of the key factors to be able to actually sell my services is to say, here's what the ROI is, you know, the return on the investment. And typically what, you know, what they want to see is, you know, how are, how are my employees going to get better? How are my costs going to be reduced? And the, the, the biggest thing for me is to say, if you've got happy employees because you're investing in them and you're training them, then you're going to have less sick days, you're going to have less conflict. Uh, and you're going to have more commitment to you as a as a company because uh, if you're you know the company down the street may be offering me a nickel more an hour yeah I'm I may not go down to that company if you're investing in me and I know that that's something that you care about because if you care about me you're going to invest in me that makes a difference yeah huge yeah and if the people enjoy their work and want to work there it also provides word of mouth for that company right and absolutely. So it's not just basically like a financial thing, but a, maybe a holistic thing for the whole company, right? Yeah. 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 But, but every, every owner wants to know how's it going to, how's it going to make me money? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so that's, I mean, that's just a real, and, it, and it's, a, and it's really a number. When I sit down with the company, I'll say, what are the metrics that you need to see that make you believe that we're getting an ROI? And I will nail that down before we even sign a contract. Yeah. No, that's a good idea. Right knowing what the expectations are up front, then I know I can meet them or exceed them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I'm pretty clear about what, what is it, what is it you're looking for and how will you know if what I've done has actually worked? And I think maybe the, uh, maybe the financial thing is easier to see versus maybe a happiness measure of your, your employees, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Easier if it's measurable. Um, and so you're under, you're still under the John Maxwell team. So do you follow everything that um, they've laid out or do you kind of go a little bit rogue on your own or you're just using the tools and then individualizing that? Well, I'm actually in the president's advisory council. So I'm part of a group of 200 that give leadership to the 33,000 people. Okay. Um, And uh, so one of the roles that I have had in uh, the John Maxwell team is I create the, the uh, workbook or the mastermind group uh, mastermind book that John uh, for the book that John produces. Okay. So um, up until this last one, because we've just done a major shift with all of the organization that John's with um, I've created, I've, I've created that I've had an advanced copy of his book by PDF so that I could actually get that ready. So when it comes out, the whole team can use it. Nice. So I, I have the ability to do a couple of things. One, I, like I shared with you before, I've got, I've got a toolbox, not only of my own leadership experience, but also because of John's expertise. Yeah. But also um, just having the John Maxwell team with me is incredible. Because for instance, one, one time I had a, uh, a gentleman come up to me who was a firefighter and he said, would you come and do some work with, with our fire hall? And I said, well, sure, let me, let me look into that. I had never done any work with a fire hall. So I got back to my house and I got on my computer on Facebook because we're all connected on our Facebook pages. And I said, okay, guys, I've got an opportunity to go to a fire hall. Who of you have worked with a fire hall? What can I learn? How can, you know, how can you help me? Within 25 to 30 minutes, Ruthie, I had 20 people respond to my message and say, private message me, call me, Zoom me. I will help you get going on that. Yeah. The other part of that is because I'm a part of the club, which is the, um, the, the, there's three levels with the John Maxwell team. That's why I'm part of the pack. 
I actually have access to the faculty, which gives me access to John Maxwell himself. In fact, I was on a call with John on Monday. And uh, so John has basically said to us, if there's any problem that you, you know, you run into with a company, we will solve it because I've solved, you know, he's worked with IBM, he's worked with Boeing, he's worked with Delta, he's worked with a lot of larger companies. So um, that's, that's the cool part about that. But yeah, that we've got, we got some, some stuff that we use. We got a sales training program. We got a coaching program. We I can teach people how to speak. Um, there's a number of things that we can do, but like that's in my toolbox. So when I go into a company, it's what do they need? And so I'll do a little bit of a rogue, like you were saying, uh, you know, but the beautiful thing about using the John Maxwell materials is proven and it gives me an opportunity to use it as a platform. Let me give an example. One of the times I was working with a company, I always would meet with the manager or the, the um, VP prior to going in and sitting down with the whole team. And I'd say, you know, what's going on? And they'd say, one of the examples was, he said to me, we got two employees that are at each other's throats and they're just in conflict. Well, because I know what I know, when I go into the session, I know what questions to ask. Yeah. And so it just happened that that chapter that we were gonna read about and talk about um, and discuss was on building relationships and conflict was part of it. And I said, so any of you guys having any conflict? And I knew the two people and they looked at each other like, how does he know? <laughs> and, and so what happened was that book gave me the platform to really address the issue that they were dealing with at that time. And that's, that's been really the, the genius of using material like John or any other material that I have access to. And it just enables me to, to address the issues. So you're not coming across um, like it'll be new to you, but not new to the group. You can always use them as a, a, re a resource then. Yeah, absolutely. That's nice to have. Yeah. To have that support is great. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed the, the leadership course with you and the, and reading the book. That was great. And yeah, I could, I've only read it once, but I'll probably go back and read it again and learn something new every single time. Um, is there anything that you've learned in the last six months from teaching it again? Oh gosh, I probably, I've, uh, I think I've led it between eight and 10 times. And so there's always something that I'm learning that I didn't see the first time that I went through. Um, the, probably the, the one thing that I've been learning recently, and I think you heard me say this when, in our class, and is, I'm, I'm getting more and more convinced of this, is that everybody can lead, but not everybody should lead. I think we all have the ability to lead because leadership is influence. So you influence your family, you influence those people at work, you influence those people in your small group, you have influence. That doesn't necessarily mean you should be leading them because either A, you may or may not have the capacity because you don't have any training or B, you may not have the right motivation for leading people. And that's where oh, yeah. I think people get into trouble is because they think, well, if I just get the corner office and everybody will serve me, well, they don't understand what leadership is and leadership is servanthood. And, um, and when you reveal that motive, then the reality is it, uh, it exposes why people really want to lead. Not everybody should be leading. Do you come across that very often, do you think? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. <laughs> I tend to lean more on the side of like everybody backs off and doesn't want to lead, right? Like I, I see that, so I don't know. Well, and I think part, that's one of the reasons why I think 
when I sit down with somebody and they say they want to be a leader, the first question I ask is why? It's a good question. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, because I, I want to be able to grow. I want to be able to advance. I want to get to the corner office and I want to, you know, I want all the prestige. I want all the perks. Yeah. Well, that tells me exactly why they want to lead versus, you know, uh, you know what? I want to add value to my teammates. I want to, I want to make a difference in our, in our company. I want to help the company grow and expand. Yeah. Uh, and, and just, I want to get better so that I can, you know, I can maximize who I am. Well, that's a very different motive than, you know what? I just want more money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. And I, yeah, I don't know if you can, you can change somebody's motives if that's, that's who they are. Right. Yeah. But it's good to know that up front. Yeah. <laughs> and even when, and when you're training someone, and many times what I will do is I will give people a leadership position without the without the title. Okay. But what that means is I'll say to you, let's say, let, for an example, I would say to you, will, will you come alongside this small group and help, just help them? Yeah. And here's the responsibility, which basically is that you're the leader. But I don't tell you that you're the leader. Now I'm giving you secrets away. So what, what, what that means is I want to see whether or not they have the attitude they want to have, you know, they have the, the abilities and they have the capacity mm -hmm. and will they do it without the title? Yeah. Cause then when, what happened, and I've seen this happen so many times, people have elevated someone to management thinking that these people have the ability to do that. And so they're no longer in like, for instance, sales, typically what happens in a company is the best salesman becomes a sales manager. Yeah. And they suck at it yeah. <laughs> because they're not selling, they're leading people. And so what happens is that person goes from selling into the management position. So somebody else takes their territory or their book of business. And then after six months, because they don't know how to shift in leading people, they get fired. And then we're right back to where we were before. Mm. And uh, I think there's a way that you can do that without without putting not only them at risk, but also your company at risk. I had one company that I was working with and they had an opening come up and uh, the manager sat down with his team and said, okay, here's, here's what I want to see. Which one of you, there was three of them in the room, which one of you is going to rise up? Yeah. As you're, as you're talking about this, one of my favorite shows is The Office. Do you ever watch that? No. No. Oh. <laughs> There's so many bad examples of like leadership and business and, and the main salesperson, the best salesperson ends up becoming the manager, right? And he's just a terrible boss. <laughs> so if you ever get a chance to watch it, there's there's so many examples of what not to do in that for people, I think. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'll look into that. It's a hilarious show. <laughs> so yeah, I what I really liked about um, John Maxwell's book and like the leadership course is about being intentional, about, about leadership and developing character. Um, yeah. So what are the top three things that you work on personally to, um, to be a leader in business and a coach and as a pastor? Well, the first thing is I'm always learning. I'm always learning. I mean, I've got to build a new bookcase because I've, I've got a whole new set of book uh, books that I, they're all over the floor. They're all over the house. I need to, so I'm always learning. I'm consuming books. I'm consuming podcasts. You know, there's, there's that part of that. The other part of it is I'm working with my mentor. Uh, and my coach. So I'm, I'm not asking people to do what I don't do. Yeah. And so I'm working with people who are at a different level than I am, uh, whether that be John Maxwell himself or, you know, others that are on that team. And, and the third part of that is just realizing that it's my responsibility to lead myself every day. And that's, 
you know, people ask me all the time, what's the biggest leadership challenge that I have? And I go, it's leading me. Yeah. I'd love to take the day off and not lead myself. Um, but I can't because as you know, as a financial coach, if you don't lead yourself to keep your budget and do all those kinds of things, one bad day can get you in deep weeds. Yeah. And with your coaching, so as a coach, and then you have a coach or a mentor, does that involve mainly asking questions about stuff that's going on, people that you're coaching, or is that a totally different relationship than again? It's everything. It's everything. It's what I'm working on. It's what I'm working on with me, who I'm working with, what are the challenges that I'm having, uh, what are the blind spots that I'm not seeing that I need someone to speak into, uh, into my life, because I, I've got them. Everybody's got blind spots. So yeah, it's, it, it's one of the things that's, that's given coaching a bad name is kind of, in fact, I saw something the other night about a life coach and it was a mockery. And, and, the, and the reality is that you, when you're coaching people, whether you're doing a financial coach or whether you're doing a business coach or a leadership coach, you're coaching the whole person. You can't, you can't, you can't separate the personal part from the professional or from you know, the role that they have in the house. Um, and that's, and that's the challenge you have to look at the whole thing, how, you know, because what's happening at home always will infiltrate what's happening at work. Um, and you know, with the pains of the past, those kinds of things, if they're not addressed, we just drag them in to the next, the next challenge. Yeah. I like that to vote the whole person. Uh, and back to you. So the church kind of, um, your pastoral role there. So my main focus is finances and affecting every area of your life, like you talked about, right? And so how have you seen or watched that kind of play out in the church as individuals or as a group for the whole church? It's been a little bit more challenging with the transitional uh, role that I have because I'm only there for 12 months, typically, uh, sometimes a little bit more like you know. And, but when I, was, when I was pastoring full-time, every January, I talked about money. I did a, I did a stewardship month. And at the, you know, I would, I would say to them, hey, we're going to do four weeks on stewardship. One is going to be out about your testimony. One's going to be about your time. One's going to be about your talent. And then the last one's going to be about your tithe. And I always told them that on the last Sunday, I'm going to ask them to give. I'm going to ask them to, to for those that had never tied, tithe to, to start. And I, whenever I did that, I probably grew the church financially between I would say 18 and 25% every year because I would encourage people to start. And, and so that was, I mean, it's interesting. Jesus spent more time talking about money than he talked about prayer. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, and so that's, that's one of the things that I did consistently was here, you know, I'd rather, I'd rather talk about sex Ruthie than, than money. And I would always say that to them and they would laugh at me but it's, it's because it's, it's very intimate. You get close to somebody's pocketbook and oh, you're, you're messing with people. And I would always have people say to me that they, got, uh, well, they would get angry at me for asking people to tithe. And all they told me was that they don't tithe. Because you don't, you don't object to something that you believe in and that you do. So I, I never, never failed. There was always one or two that would write me a nasty note that said, I don't believe you should be doing that. It's an Old Testament thing. I, I need to be, I'm not doing that. And, and all I would say to them is, you know, you just told me that you just don't give. And what is, what was the, the root of the not giving, I guess? 
I think it's a heart issue. Because it, it, and I believe that's what Jesus was talking about. Was it's you know it, it's not about what's in my pocket; it's what's in my heart. And if I have a generous heart, and I recognize that stewardship means that I'm only entrusted with what I have, so God's given me. And I I would always say, you know, let's just say you made a hundred dollars today. How much of that is God's? And somebody would yell out ten bucks because they think you know they think tithing. And I would say, actually, God owns it all. I'm just supposed to be a steward of that. And so when I recognize that I'm a steward, then it's God can give it and God can take it away just as easy. So it's really a, it's really a hard issue to say, no, I don't trust God with, with that area of my life, which means, again, how I do one thing is how I do everything. I don't trust him with any area of my life. Well, I know Dave Ramsey talks about, yeah, it's much easier to give away someone else's money. So if you're just the steward and it's not your money, why, why can't you give it away, right? That's right. That's right. And, and generosity is such a, I think it's like a rare thing to talk about nowadays. Well, and I always say too, that I think people want to be generous. Like I think if you were to sit down in, in our church and say, you know, individually ask every one of them, do you want to be generous? Do you want to be generous? Do you? The answer would be yes. The problem is, is they can't be generous. And that's because their personal finances are in such a mess or they're maxed out on payments or commitments that they can't. And that's what I love about Dave Ramsey by, you know, he says, you know, the only way you can be an outrageous or a generous giver is you've got to have the ability to have that money available. Well, most people don't. Most people don't. And so that's why whenever somebody, I would challenge somebody about giving, I couldn't ask them, Ruthie, for 10%. They didn't have 10%. Not unless they planned to give that 10%, I guess. So I would say start, start with 1%. And then if God blesses, then move it up to 2%. I mean, every year I've sought to give 1% higher than I did the year before. That's a good goal. And I've always tithed. And, and it's just, and, and, and it's, again, it's just, am I, am I willing to trust God even in those areas? So one of the things that I, you know, I love about what you're doing is helping people get their finances in order because when they're like, for instance, Beirut with all that's gone on there in our church, our Alliance church and our Bible college is being decimated. Well, if we all were in a place where we had the resources in one day, we all write a check and we can take care of it. Many people can't do that right now. I, uh, I forget the name of the book that I read, but it was even to the extreme of people um, not even having any insurance at all, like no home insurance, no life insurance, no auto insurance. And the church just purely looked after if something happened to you, right? To have that resources available. And they thought, wow, that's a, that's a big leap of faith, eh? Absolutely. <laughs> you're trusting the rest of the people in the church, right? <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, so, and have you had to, um, so have you had, you spoke on, on finances and giving and stewardship, and then have you had to individually speak to people in the church about that, or have they come to you for counseling about that? Um, sometimes, sometimes after a series, but, but typically what I will do is I will, um, I will either proceed or, or, um, precede the series. Like, for instance, what I would do is have people sign up for Now, I don't know if we can do it in Canada anymore. We used to be able to. 
the Dave, Ram Dave Ramsey course, but I don't know if we can do it in Canada anymore like we would before. Yeah, it's on hold be. right now, I think. They're, they're not allowed to because of the title university in it, right? Oh, is that right? That's what the issue is. And so what we would do is we'd have people also sign up for that. So we would, we would have that kind of a, a support group or, or uh, it's not a support group necessarily, but a, a small group to help them put those things in place and teach them the principles. Yeah, I, I did the uh, Life Money Legacy series because they said that we were allowed to show that one. And so that was like a five-week series instead of his, I think, is a nine or ten. Yeah, I've got a dear friend of mine that's on faculty with, with Dave Ramsey, and she's in, uh, she's in Texas. I would love to have somebody come up and do that for us, but we just can't get it across the border anymore. It'd be very nice to be able to do that. <laughs> and I think, yeah, this, this, it would be beneficial for more people to hear about it and i think it's quite common in the states right but you don't hear about it up here yeah you are part of the 5 a.m club as of like what the last year or so i started in march of 2019 oh, okay and so how has that transformed your life uh it's given me uh, a new level of discipline that i've never had before so what I basically do is I get up and I go to the treadmill for 20 minutes. It's 20 minutes, inter 20 minute intervals, 20 minutes on the treadmill, 20 minutes reading and 20 minutes either writing or responding and reflecting. And of course I have my own quiet time in there as well. That's part of my reflecting time, but it gives, it's, it's just given me extra time. That was one of the reasons why I did it was because I was part of a project that uh, was over and above everything that I was doing. And I needed extra time to develop courses for this leadership um, series that we are putting together for the uh, for the state of North Dakota, and uh, so I just needed extra time. And so even this morning, I got up and I went through your notes, and I uh, literally I took the time to answer every one of the questions because I I knew I was going to have that this morning, and I actually had a meeting I had to get on to at six thirty in the morning, so I was all ready to go. And so, were you exercising before you started this five a.m. club? Not, not anything that was consistent, that's for sure. So has that changed um, how you feel too? And if you get up first thing in the morning and exercise? Absolutely. That's where I'm listening to all the podcasts. <laughs> so yeah, I just can't, I can't uh, run on a treadmill or, or walk fast on a treadmill. I don't run, but because uh, of my knees from sports. But yeah, I, I listen to, to podcasts or, or uh, online sermons or all that. I just consume those kinds of things because I think it's a great, great use of my time. Um, I find that, that that hour is not enough, like our 20 minute intervals of stuff. And maybe just because I'm not focused enough, I'm not sure if I get distracted in that 20 minutes, right? <laughs> well, I, I usually, I usually, well, the reason why I, I've only got an hour is because Cheryl gets up at six. So I'm, I've got a, you know, we have our quiet time and devotions and coffee together. So I, I've got a, I've got a hard stop. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I like to listen to podcasts when I run as well, but usually they're 50 minute ones and my run is only 30 minutes. So I miss usually the last 20 minutes of it because I don't go back to. <laughs> have you, have you, have you learned about time and a half speeding them up by 1.5? Oh, no. Yeah, you can you can uh, you can speed them up by 1.5 or two even. Now they sound like Mickey Mouse, um, the at the highest level. Yeah. But I, I've got I've got one of them that I listen to. He's he's from the southern states, and he talks so slow that when I speed <laughs> him up, I, then I can understand him. So yeah, you can actually you can actually change the speed of them and get through them quicker. I'm gonna have to try that out and see. Thanks. <laughs> 
no worries. And so you're listening to some podcasts. What are the what are some of your favorite ones that you're listening to? Well, I had to pull out my phone and look at them. Um, I look. I listened to "Lead to Win" by Michael and Megan Hyatt. Okay. Great. Uh, Megan's the daughter of of Michael Hyatt. Uh, Michael Hyatt was a publisher for years. And so he has a passion for helping people in personal development. And, I, and I, so I would say, listen to the podcast and read every book that Michael's ever put out. I've never um, even heard of him. That sounds cool. Oh, is that right? Okay. He's, he's, uh, he's done some great work. I listened to the John Maxwell Leadership Podcast. I know you're surprised at that. <laughs> and uh, what's been exciting about that is every up until COVID, because COVID kind of threw everything into a, a, a wrinkle, but up until that, because he traveled so much, he would, every, every four weeks, he would do a candid conversation wherever he was in the world. And it was so cool just to listen to him say, you know, I was, I was with this person in Dubai and, and uh, you know, this is what I've learned. So it was, again, going back to one of the things that I do is I learn from the people that, that, that uh, are mentoring me. And, and so it's, it's nice to know what he's learning Real time, real time. Craig Rochelle, leadership podcast. He's a pastor from the U.S., but but does really well. Um, the Unstuck Church by uh, Tony Morgan is another one, and it really works in well with the transitional stuff that that I'm doing. And uh, and then the Boundaries Me podcast. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Dr. Henry Cloud. Yeah, I just read that book. Boundaries. Yeah, it, I've you know what. Ruthie, I have given more copies of that book away. I, and the, and the, actually the boundaries for leaders is a great book too, that I've used. So that's, uh, that's pretty, that's pretty exciting. So that's just the top five or six that I, that I listened to. Awesome. Yeah. I'll have to look up some of those. I didn't realize he had a podcast too with it. Yeah. Really cool. Uh, is there any books that you have that you're, that are your favorites right now? Um, the ones, and again, I had to, I had to just look over beside where I was sitting this morning and go, what are the books I'm reading? One of the books is Motive by Patrick Linciani. And it really talks about the whole aspect of what's the motive of me leading. And that's where that principle came out that I talked to you about. Uh, Carly Farina, she was the former CEO of, um, I believe it was IBM. She wrote a book called Find Your Way, which is a great book. Another one's called uh, Know What You're For is by Jeff Henderson. And so the two, key, the two key questions out of that book that I grabbed are when I sit down with a company, what, what, are, what do you want to be known for? Yeah. But then if I was to go and talk to your customers, what are you really known for? Yeah, there might be a little bit of difference. <laughs> and then what's the, what's the gap there, right? Um, the one I, I've just picked up that everybody has told me to read is Simon Sinek's book called infinite game the infinite game and I, i'm just really starting to get into that one it, it's it's not an easy read because he's a heavy thinker a deep thinker um pamela mclaren or mclen self as coach self as leader is uh, a, a real interesting book as well just and again i'm always reading stuff about coaching for my own my own self and then i i just read uh, doug balzer's book the empowerment pivot which was just a great spiritual book for me to, uh, to read. And, I, and then as a result of that reading, I've ordered 12 more books to read. <laughs> My list will change in a month. <laughs> Do you read pretty quickly or are you like absorbing it and writing notes when you're reading? 
If I have time, I will actually speed read it. Now, one of the things that I learned when I was working on my doctorate was somebody actually taught me how to read a book real quick. And I, didn't, I wish they would have taught me this years ago. But what you do is you read the foreword in detail. Like you sit down and you read the foreword yeah. and get the essence of the book. And then you read the first paragraph and the last paragraph of every chapter. Where they summarize everything, I guess. Here's they introduce it, and then there's the summary. Yeah. And then what you do is you kind of then you can kind of go back and go which of the chapters that um, you really want to dive into. Okay. That's if I'm trying to go through a number of them, that's what I will do. But when you know, if I, I my problem is I'd love to read them through and highlight them and pull quotes out. You, you're you're familiar with all of that, so I depends on what the book is. If I'm if I'm doing research for a project, then I will go through a bunch of books, but I will do it the short way. And then go back and go in detail. I've, I've read that um, The Frantic Family or The Three Big Questions by Patrick Lencioni. Mm. Have, um, have you heard of that book? No, I haven't. Yeah, it reads like a storybook, so it's easy to read. And I'm actually um, writing about it in my blog this week about how to kind of decide what your, your rallying cry for your family is and what you're going to accomplish in the next six months to a year type of thing, right? That's, that's how he writes. He, he always writes a fable and, and, and he's got a great, he's got a great, uh, well, I listen to his podcast too. Okay. And uh, it's a, it's another great one. Yeah. I heard about him um, on the art of manliness. That's one that I listen to. <laughs> awesome. So, and this guy introduces a whole bunch of other people, which leads to you then reading their book. Absolutely. That's yeah. very interesting. Cool. Well, that's about all I had to ask you for awesome. today. Well, just uh, continue to forge ahead and uh, keep making a difference in people's lives. Thanks. Yeah, I appreciate you um, telling me all this information and letting me know. This is great. No worries. Anytime. Have to <laughs> research some more and delve deeper into all the stuff. It's good. Sounds good. Great. Well, thank you very much for coming on. You're and welcome. Taking the time. Have a great rest of the day. Awesome. You too. Thanks. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. My guest today was Bob Claxton, International Executive Leadership Coach, Speaker, Trainer, and Pastor. You can find him on Facebook at Robert J. Claxton and Associates or just Bob Claxton. And Claxton is C-L-A-X-T-O-N. He also has a website, www.robertjclaxton.com. So go check him out. The purpose of this podcast is to introduce myself financial coach Ruthie to you so that if you feel like you're stressed out or reaching the breaking point in your financial health and you feel like you're not reaching your goals, if you feel like you need a listener who can understand your situation and be your cheerleader and guide in your unique journey, know that you can start today by booking your complimentary 15-minute consultation. Just go to www.financialresuscitationwithruthie.com.